Due to the age of these recorded messages, there are parts of low quality that are hard to understand. We have done our best to eliminate these and make it as clear as possible. And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting, on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take ye the son of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families. Redemption is, we find in the book of Exodus, 
kind of the whole book moves towards the dwelling place of God. The heart of it is the dwelling place of God. Genesis, we find the beginning, the origin of it all, in Exodus, we find the means to achieve it, and we find the revelation of it, and we find the construction. In Leviticus, you remember, a very big step forward again has been taken. For the first time, we find, in the very first verse of the first chapter, we find God has taken up residence within his dwelling place in the midst of a people upon a fallen earth. And we find that he is speaking from out of the tent of the Leviticus deals with the problem of how poor, failing, wayward children of God, such as we, albeit redeemed, can be made the home of God. Leviticus deals with that problem alone. How can we, though redeemed, become part of the very home and habitation of God? When I first, uh, when we first started on these studies, I remember saying to you that Numbers dealt uh, with this aspect, with conflict and pilgrimage. Pilgrimage and conflict. And indeed, the hymns we've been singing tonight have been to do with pilgrimage and conflict. But as I have looked at the book of uh, Numbers, I have been uh, deeply impressed, as I am sure by the that the pilgrimage has the confidence of the citizens. The main emphasis of this book is really the question of responsibility. We find that in this part of the Pentateuch, uh, the whole ground from the wilderness to the wilderness to the promised land is covered. That is, um, a journey from Mount Sinai right over to the promised land is covered by the book of Numbers. And it is very hard to find these in the book of Numbers because there are so many parallel themes running through this book. For there is the faithfulness of God and the failure of his people. That is a theme from beginning to end of the book. The faithfulness of God and the failure of his people. Then again, you will find that the that Numbers has another theme, warfare and conflict. From beginning to end, it is a book of warfare and conflict. Its very first chapter begins with men of war. And its last chapters are still talking about walking in the midst. It is a book of warfare and of conflict. It is a book of probation and trial. Everything is on trial. The greatest man amongst the people of God is on trial. His brother, his sister are on trial. The priests are on trial. The Levites are on trial. The people of God are on trial. The elders, the rulers, the princes are on trial. Everybody is on trial. They are on probation, and everything is ready. 
upon the They are obtaining the inheritance, they are obtaining their promised benefit, depends upon God proving them um, after he has tried them in the wilderness. Then again, another theme in this book, from beginning to end, is pilgrimage and settlement. Uh, all the way through the book we find pilgrimage. They're not allowed to settle up. They're not allowed to uh, settle down. It's pilgrimage all the time. And we find the book deals a tremendous amount of stone. Um, I think you'll be very surprised in the time that we have tonight. We have covered a large amount uh, in a short time. But I think that you will be amazed at the amount that is taken up in this book of the service of God. All the directions of the service of God. How the service is to carry, who is to carry it, where it is to carry it to, just the signs for it, everything is important to God. The service of God is a very large thing in this book. You see, we find throughout this particular book a large number of themes that are not just found in one chapter, but are found from the first chapter to the last chapter running right through. So it is very hard to find these keys in such a book. Then again, <coughs> we have to recognize that in this particular book, God has taken another great step forward. And I believe that it is in that step forward that we find the keys to the book of Numbers. God, you know, has taken one step forward in Genesis, another step forward in Exodus, a third step in Leviticus, and a fourth step in Numbers. He's taken a very big step forward in Leviticus. He's taken a very big step forward in Numbers. It's found in the first verse of the first chapter. We're always putting, I suppose you've noted, a lot upon the first verse, the first chapter of, of, the, of each book. But you'll find, generally speaking, the key <coughs> to the book is within its first opening words. And that's why the Hebrews, of course, have always called each of these parts of the Pentateuch by the first few words in Hebrew. This book begins like this. The Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting. I don't know, some of you, I'm afraid, may have read this rather superficially. And uh, some of you may have thought to yourself, huh, it opens in the same way that the book of Leviticus opens. God was speaking to Moses in the tent of meeting in the book of Leviticus. Ah, the wrong. In the book of Leviticus, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses from out of the tent of meeting. The book of Numbers begins with this. The Lord spake unto Moses in the tent of Israel. God has taken a great step forward. For the first time, as far as the written word goes, we find that God is here dealing with man in his house. Before, he was speaking to man from out of his dwelling place on the whole problem of how they could become part of his dwelling place. Now in Numbers, he is dealing with man as in his dwelling place. He is speaking with man as inside the household of God. 
as someone who is responsible toward God for the things of God and the purpose of God in the house of God. He speaks to Moses in the tent of meeting, not from out of it, in it. He is in it and Moses is in it. And he speaks to him in fact. We will leave the other phrase in the wilderness for a, a few moments and deal with that a little later. We shall find that this book tells us everything depends upon the faithfulness of God and our responsibility. The faithfulness of God and of our taking full responsibility. We shall find as we go through this book that if we fail to take full responsibility, that will be the measure in which we fail of God's object. Now a few words on this question of the authorship and the date of this part of the picture. I think we can say now quite simply that it is uh, generally the work of Moses. Humanly speaking, on the human side, Numbers is the work of Moses. There is one problem, and you will find it in Numbers 12 and in verse 3. Uh, there are, of course, one, quite a few problems, but we're not going to, say, deal with technical problems about the authorship of this book. We understand it to be the work of Moses, but we do read in chapter 12, verse 3, Now the man Moses was very meek above all men that were upon the face of the earth. Something that perhaps we don't quite reconcile with a man who was so meek to be able to write about himself in that way. And I have at myself absolutely no difficulty whatsoever in believing that the person who came uh, not only to uh, uh, look, watch over this, but to add the death of Moses also in Deuteronomy, um, I, I'm quite sure that they may have inserted this, and uh, that insertion was undoubtedly um, as much of the Lord as any other part of the book of Numbers, if indeed it was not written by Moses. I myself find it a little hard to believe that Moses penned uh, those words about himself. Um, it would seem to have been written between the um, uh, between the 14th and 13th century BC, roughly, approximately. It covers a period of about 38, 39 years. Um, you will see that this book begins at Sinai and ends at Jordan. Now that you must bear that in mind, because when you come to the book of Deuteronomy, you're going to find that Deuteronomy is going right back over, over the whole thing once again, and drawing out some very big lessons from it. Deuteronomy has nothing further to do as far as physical journeying goes. This book takes us right up to uh, the other side of Jordan, over against Jericho. In other words, it brings us to the actual point of them going over the Jordan to possess the promised land. We 
have to understand that. It covers then a period of about 38 years. I want you also to note another very interesting point. It's a technical point, but it's an interesting point. And that is that uh, these 38 years are split up in a very interesting way. Numbers 1 to 14, that is the first 14 chapters of Numbers, deal with one year. And then you find that the last 17 chapters of Numbers deal with another single year. And the few years, in all, five chapters deal with something like 37 years. It is a very interesting fact that what is outside the will of God is not recorded. Many people think that the whole of the wilderness wandering of 40 years is recorded in Scripture. In actual fact, there is a large blank left over very, of, over very much the larger part of the wilderness wandering. We have only a few uh, um, places given to us in Numbers chapter 33, which just uh, uh, run over very briefly and in fact not fully all the places that they stopped at and encamped uh, at. So you see that the 36, 37 years which take up the major part of this um, period of time are covered in five chapters and really Numbers deals more with the first year, uh, with the first part of that period and the last part of that period. In other words, deal very much more fully with them coming right up to the point where they should have gone over and possessed the land. And then it deals very much more fully with the last part when once again they came up to the point of going over to possess the land. What is the key to the book of Numbers? I think you will find the key in two phrases that I have already mentioned, one of which I have already mentioned, Numbers 1 and verse 1, which just simply says, The Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting. And in chapter 12 and verse 7, this little phrase, my servant Moses is not so. He is faithful in all my house. I believe that within these two phrases you have the key, the key, to the book of Numbers. He spake to Moses in the tent of meeting. My servant Moses is not so. He is faithful in all my house. Faithful in all my house. This, I think, is the key to the book of Numbers. Faithful in all my house. The key is responsibility. Responsibility toward the Lord and his house over the things of God. <coughs> and that responsibility on trial. That is, the key to this book is that the Lord is looking 
for a grown-up adult response and reaction on the part of his people to himself, to his dwelling place, and to all the things to do with himself. It is this matter of such paramount importance, this whole question of responsibility. We find this wherever we turn in numbers. It doesn't matter where you turn, everything's on trial. If, if, it's, if, if it's for the youngest and the smallest, uh, to the, at least from the age of responsibility from 20 upwards, to the elders in Israel, they, they are all on trial, everyone. Moses is on trial, Miriam is on trial, Aaron is on trial, the priests are on trial, the Levites are on trial, the princes and the elders are on trial, and the whole nation is on trial, the responsible part of the nation. Not the new generation, those over 20 are on trial. And this trial is not a trial of those who are too young to be of age. Those who are on probation are those who have reached the age of 20 and upwards. It's, in other words, it is a question of responsibility on trial. Not every one of the children is on trial. But responsible people on probation. You, as it will note, that this book begins and ends, roughly, approximately, with, no, with a census. And in nearly all the comments written, people are, tend to tone down the question of the census. Um, again and again, if you have read comments, you'll find this kind of thing said. Um, don't take any notice of the Greek title of this book, Numbers, because it is a very misleading title indeed. It will um, give you an entirely wrong impression about this part of the Pentateuch. Uh, unfortunately, I read one that said, unfortunately, uh, the Greek scholars rather superficially read this book and decided to call it Numbers. This is nothing of the kind. I think that the Greek title, Numbers, is a very good one indeed. Uh, for the simple reason that everyone who is responsible has been numbered and not one of them is left out. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit has seen fit that the first chapter is taken up with a census of every man over the age of um, 20 and then again we find that uh, uh, in, uh, in chapter 26 everyone is again uh, 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 numbered. That is the new generation is again numbered. In other words, the book is bounded by two numberings of the children of Israel. This, I think, has got to be noted if we're going to understand this uh, book at all. You'll also find another interesting point about the book of Numbers, that the Levites occupy probably a larger place in the book of Numbers than they do in the book of Leviticus. If you have read even superficially the book of Numbers, you must have been impressed by the way the Levites continually come in. All the time the Levites are coming in. If it's not their cities, then it's their offerings. If it's not their offerings, it's their 
their separation. If it's not their separation, it's their function. If it's not their function, it's their nature. But everywhere through this book, again and again, you come back to the Levites. They're all the time coming back to the Levites. And you know that the Levites signify scriptural responsibility. They always are a symbol of responsibility toward the Lord and his people. So you see that the key to this book is one that is in many ways a very, very wonderful one. Um, we find three things in the book of Numbers. The first is responsibility. The second is probation. The third is rebellion. These three things always go together. You might think I'm very emphatic in saying these three things always go together. They always go together responsibility, probation, and rebellion. Whenever the Lord is giving responsibility in a people, he will always have rebellion. Always. It is the reaction of man's old nature to responsibility. In other words, it is irresponsibility over against responsibility. It nearly always comes from those who ought to be responsible, but are rebelling against being responsible. So you find the Lord numbering all from 20 years upward. Then you find he puts them all on trial, and then the book of Numbers is the awful story, the tragic story, of the vast number failing in their responsibility, and indeed rebelling at every opportunity, against the Lord in this matter of whether they should take responsibility or not. Right the way through then, you find these three strands woven together. The Lord putting grown up children of his into a place of responsibility and then testing them, trying them on every single point. And uh, we find that the answer is always um, a purging, a purifying, or a rebellion. I think that is very, very interesting that the book of Numbers should have so much to do with rebellion. You find that the chapters from chapter 9 to chapter uh, 25 is nearly one continuous story of rebellion from beginning to end. Just an awful story of rebellion. Many of us smiled when we first came to the Lord and read this book. I know I did. I used to find it very, very amusing. I used to think, oh, those people have never heard anything like it. I open one page and I find they murmur. I look at the next paragraph and I find they murmur again. I turn over the page and I find they murmur again. I find the Lord deals with them and then they, they murmur against his dealing. Uh, when he settles an issue, they murmur. Uh, against them. They can't be quiet. They must murmur. All the time they murmur. And I used to think as a, um, when I was much younger in the Lord, this is really amusing. Until I found the bitter experience that it is absolutely true, real experience. Human beings are the most amazing murmurers in the world. And I do believe that the Lord's people are the very worst of all murmurers. It seems to me that when the Lord deals with 
privilege of that in any way whatsoever, you get the greatest amount of memory. Back, chat, same, same, contradiction, haggling. You know, all this kind of business that goes on. All the time the Lord speaks. And even when the Lord settles issues, so they come back again. Here then we find the key to this book. But shining through it all, the faithfulness of God. One of the most wonderful parts of this book to me is the part to do with Balaam. There in the plain, the people are all murmuring. In the plain, they're rebelling. They're tired with Moses. They're tired with the way that they're going. They're tired with their food, which is God's provision. They're tired. In every way, they're tired. Tired of the ministry, tired of the leadership, tired of the destiny, tired of the history, tired of everything. They're just weary of it all. They're groaning and moaning not only about Moses and about Aaron, about the priests, but also about the Lord himself. And yet the Lord says, I haven't even seen perversion in the place of Jacob. He speaks to them in those passages as being so beautiful, so upright, so righteous. I think this is just an indication of the faithfulness of God over his own people, even when they are so amazingly full of rebellion and sin. Well now, let us look a little bit more closely at this. We see that we can find an outline. We've put uh, this three-fold division of the book upon the uh, this blackboard. Um, it's not a very good one, but it does give you, I think, some little understanding of the, the book of Numbers. You will find that the first eight chapters deal basically with this question of responsibility. We will look at that. Then you will find that the next chapters from 9 to 25 deal with responsibility on trial. That is the whole period to do with rebellion and all the outcome of it. And then the last chapters from 26 to 36 are again the renumbering or the new census or the new generation taken and the last um, commandments and laws given before they go over the Jordan into the promised Land. Now, if you take the book of Numbers, we will look for a while at these first few chapters together. <coughs> the first thing we find, we are going to deal with this first section first. We find in chapter 1, and chapter 2, and in chapter 3 and 4, we find three basic things about responsibility. First is this, a tremendous conflict will always rage on this earth until the Lord returns over God's dwelling place. It is the one thing that Satan from the beginning has set himself against. He is more set against the dwelling place of God than even our personal salvation. He is against our personal salvation because he knows our personal salvation will lead to our becoming incorporated into God's house. 
This is the thing that caused pride to be found in Satan at the very beginning, we believe. It is something that he has been set against ever since. A tremendous conflict then rages over the dwelling place of God. It is very interesting. But whenever you touch anything that is to do with the church in a practical way, which affects us in a practical way, there are always explosions and reactions which are not just human and physical. Always. Because, you see, we find that the enemy is set against God finding his rest and satisfaction in a people. He is against that house built for living stones. That's the thing that is the heart of this conflict. And it doesn't matter where we are, we shall find that Zion or Jerusalem or the temple or the tabernacle or the church of the living God, wherever we go, we're finding this is the heart of the gospel. This is the focal point of the conflict. The book of Revelation reveals only too clearly to us that it is this, the testimony of Jesus, that is the focal point of all the violence, the most ferocious attack and assault of the enemy. Now, you see, responsibility is a matter to do with warfare. I'm always amazed when people are frightened of grass and fight. <clears throat> Why do Christians always want to have it all peaceful and sweet? As soon as there's a slightest scrap, they vanish. As if they can't speak, as if it's not right. Warfare anywhere, outside the house or inside the house, believe me, is part of the conflict. And furthermore, you and I have been numbered to be part of that conflict. If we try to get out of it, we are proving to be irresponsible. Our place, our part, is to be in this battle. The armour is given for us all, not for a few. It is given for everyone who has come to spiritual age. And we all ought to be in the battle. If we are somehow bypassing the battle, if we're trying to evade or avoid the battle, then we are just proving that we're going to fall and lose our inheritance. Hebrews is the book that speaks of the possibility, not of losing our salvation, but of losing our inheritance. Of losing all that the Lord has saved us into, though we will not lose our salvation. And here you've got it again. This question of the dwelling place of God involves us in a mortal conflict. A conflict which is unto blood. A conflict which will bring us. A conflict which never ceases death. And you and I have been numbered by the Lord for this conflict. We are numbered for it. Of course, if you want to stay in the baby of faith all your life, you won't be in the conflict. If you wish to remain in the nursery, you won't be in the conflict. God thought that you should be a man of war. You should be one of the men of war that are numbered here in the book of Numbers. So you see, here we begin to deal with the basic nature of responsibility. It is to do with warfare. God wants men and women who can get out in the battle on this question of his house. People who can go out 
through God can achieve something over this question of his then again you will find there is something else in chapter 2 you will find that everything is a question of life position and comfort the second thing we learn about this question of responsibility is simply that it is a life position and attitude do you know all these people who one minute talk about the house who one minute talk about fellowship who one minute talk about relatedness and the next minute are gone they're not here. You look for them, you need them, they're not there. They've gone. They've decided that they ought to be somewhere else, or they should be off here, or up there, or way there. This question of responsibility involves a basic life position and attitude. I, well I didn't, but David did, uh, drew on the board, um, simply something that some of you older ones will be very well acquainted with, I'll put it up and down. But others of you younger perhaps ones will not be so well acquainted with. Forget the marching order type and take the position of God's people. You see that in Numbers 2, in Numbers 2, everything is bound up with the position that you have got to take regarding God and his life. Everything is around the dwelling Nothing is left to self-opinion. Nothing is left to corporate self-opinion. Nothing is left to a conglomeration of views. Nothing is left to self-will. Nothing. Everything is apportioned by God. He gives each tribe its portion. Issachar, Judah, Zebulun, Asher, Dan, Naphtali, Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh, Simeon, and Reuben, and Gad. All of them have been given their place. And within each tribe, the princes of the tribe are to apportion each man the place for his tent. All is to be in order. Everything is to be, as it were, in military order. Then you find that the Kurathites, the Gershonites, and the Merorites are to be encamped around the, the ark, around the tabernacle. And Moses, Aaron, and son, that is the priesthood, are to be in front. This, then, teaches us that responsibility involves us in a life position regarding God's dwelling That is, that whether we're washing, or looking after the children, or shopping, or at business, or earning our wages for the others to live upon, bringing in money, or whether we're wholly involved in the things of God, whatever it is, our life position is to be related to the house of God at the centre, not our home and the house of God around it. Not our home and the Lord blessing us. Not our job and the Lord helping us. But our job, our home, our life, our career, our business, everything found in its proper relationship to the dwelling place of God. The house of God is at the heart of the people. It is a life position. You can't change your position. You must keep to your position. It was something to be kept, something to be adhered to. There were penalties attached to, to non-adherence. Your place was found simply there. If anyone thought that they ought to be a Levite and wandered into the place of the Levite, they may die. Keep them away. 
There's to be no disorder, no confusion. Everyone must keep to the place appointed to him of God. So you see, responsibility is not, not only involves us in warfare, that unseen, terrible warfare, satanic warfare, but it also involves us in a life position. No one can be responsible who thinks that everything should centre around him or her, or around their business, around their life, around their home. Your home, your business, your career, your everything has got to find its place in relation to God and his throne of place at the center. That is, the house of God has got to be the heart and the hub of your life. That you are understand. Not a place of bricks and mortar, but the, the house made up of living stones. So we understand that. And then you look at chapter 3 and chapter 4, and you find the essential nature of responsibility. It's not only a question of conflict, it's not only a position, a life position and attitude, and by the way, everyone's included in that, even the babies, even the irresponsible. The ones who cannot take responsibility are included in the encampment. Everyone there has got to find their place, because that's how they will come to responsibility. So even if some of you feel that you're not responsible yet, you've still got to put the Lord in his dwelling place at the heart, that you might become responsible. You find in chapter 3 and in chapter 4 that you've got the basic nature of responsibility. You have the Levites. You have the Levites numbered. Now this is a new numbering. The Levites were never numbered with the men of war. They had their own peculiar functions. And you know this function is summed up in three things. You will find one in chapter 4 and verse 23, and in chapter 8 and verse 24. In the margin, it reads like this, warfaring, warring the warfare in the work. <coughs> this was the job of the Levite, warring the warfare in the work. Their job was inside the house, the service of God. And then you will find that that was usually from 30 to 50, and then after 50, they took, they passed into another category, which we find mentioned in chapter 8 and verse 26, keeping the charge. Keeping the charge. Here you've got Levitical service. In their younger, strong days, they entered upon it at the age of 30. There was a five-year apprenticeship with the Levites. From 25 to 30, he was a prince. At 30, he entered upon his service, his work. And then at 50, he passed over into the keeping of the charge over the work of God. But something that I found that I felt perhaps goes to the heart of Levitical service more than anything else, well, I found in chapter 4 and in verse 47, the little phrase, bearing the burden. They shall be for bearing the burdens. And dear friends, it's not bearing the burdens um, that are personal. So don't comfort yourself if you've got big personal burdens that you feel you're carrying. It doesn't say that. No, these burdens are the burdens of the house of God. Levites have grown up out of petty self-consciousness and petty self-centeredness. They reveal to us the essential nature of responsibility, which is Christ-centeredness. 
they reveal to us simply that the essential nature of responsibility is to bear burdens bigger than our own. You know, there are many Christians who, are, who have completely succumbed under their own burdens. They have never learned the secret that to bear the burdens of the Lord is to find relief from their own. Whether they be personal problems, to do with your own personality, to do with, to do with your own history, to do with your own circumstances, to do with your own relationships, whatever it is, it is a question of bearing the burdens of the Lord. You come to that, you will find that your own burdens will, in their end, find their solution, even if only that you have found uh, the Lord to be your strength. So we find the Levites, and we find the Levites are very carefully apportioned to their work. If you are a Kerfite, you've got a certain job. If you're a Gershonite, you have a certain job. If you're a Merorite, you have a certain job. If I'm a Merorite, I can't do a Kerfite's job. If I do, I incur the pleasure and the wrath of the Lord. I may die. This is a question of order. If I get...